Seven minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in uh, to Metro FM Talk with me, Ayabonga Tawe. Now, an interesting piece of news that came through today. And uh, before uh, we get into the story of farm workers, and I guess it triggered my mind because uh, the people we're going to be talking to, Carmen Lowe, is uh, from Women on Farms. And uh, they uh, have a strong presence in the Western Cape, which also happens to be where the first cannabis license, or the first license for the cultivation of cannabis, was awarded. Now, um, I think a lot of us uh, have been uh, making a lot of uh, noise about, you know, I guess if, if the first people to get the license are people who have highly mechanized, you know, highly uh, capital intensive uh, operations with the massive deployment of technology, uh, what does that mean uh, for, you know, um, who have been doing this for decades? Um, is this going to mean that I guess you have to go over many of these uh, loops in order for you to be able to uh, access this kind of license? And I mean, I'd also be interested uh, in uh, talking to them uh, to find out how they got uh, this uh, particular license and what went into this. Now, we understand this is a strawberry uh, farm based all the way out in Stellenbosch, and they have uh, the first license of this kind. And uh, uh, I guess it's going to open up a lot of debates around uh, uh, redistribution and a lot of debates around equity here uh, in uh, uh, this uh, licensing space of uh, commercial cannabis. And uh, uh, the name of the farm is Bolka Dry. And uh, they said they're going to be building a greenhouse on an isolated part of the land uh, to enable the cultivation of different cannabis strains. And their commercial license allow them only to sell uh, to uh, uh, um, sell the cannabis goods to other licensed companies, so they, so they won't be able to sell it privately uh, in the existing market. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if these guys are just growing it as a side operation, I mean, it makes one wonder. Uh, you know, uh, do they really need the license? But uh, maybe that's just me being a finicky about that. I'd love to hear your perspectives. Give me a ring on zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. You can also tweet us on at Metro FM SA using the hashtag Metro FM Talk. Let me know what you think about this uh, strawberry farm, Polka Dry, all the way out in Stellenbosch. Uh, they get the first license uh, to grow a Kubalabatwa or Omia. And I'd love to hear from you what your perspectives are on that one. Let's take this brief break. And on the other side, Zgena, Quiz, Indwezi, it's our shop stewards corner and we're taking a look at uh, the state of play uh, for farm workers uh, who certainly continue to suffer from insecure tenure rights uh, on the land uh, that many of them have lived on for decades we continue 12 minutes it is after 8 p.m uh, we go into our shop stewards corner on this monday here on uh, metro fm talk and uh, today we're taking a look at uh, the uh, challenges faced by uh, farm workers uh, in South Africa, and in the, in the context of a, a conference here to be held on uh, the future of farm workers in South Africa, it's taking place at the University of the Western Cape uh, uh, between the 16th and the 18th of October. And it's uh, going to be highlighting the centrality of farm workers in the national economy and in our food system, uh, whilst also identifying innovative ideas for social protection to address uh, some of the challenges around uh, seasonal hunger. And I'm not sure if uh, that hunger is only seasonal. Uh, because one would think that uh, 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 certainly having um, worked at Oxfam, uh, I remember a few years ago uh, we published a report called Hidden Hunger, uh, which showed that I guess much of the hunger that we see uh, even from the uh, many producers that are central to our food system might not only be seasonal, uh, but uh, might be something that is uh, um, um, 
a daily occurrence even in times of harvest among many uh, farm workers. And I'm joined uh, on the line to uh, talk about this particular uh, issue by Professor Stephen Devereaux. He is with the Institute of uh, Development Studies at the University of the Western Cape and is also the national uh, is also at the National Center of Excellence uh, in Food Security and also joined by the co-director of Women on Farms and that is uh, Carmen Lowe. Carmen and uh, Stephen, good evening to the pair of you and welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening, Ayabonga, and thank you. Good evening, Ayabonga, and thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us uh, this evening. Carmen, I want to start with you. Um, and uh, you guys at Women Owned Farms have uh, certainly for uh, uh, many years been doing uh, some great work, um, in particular on many of the farms there in the Western Cape and in uh, parts of the Southern Cape as well, um, uh, and uh, responding to many of the challenges that farm workers face uh, in uh, working on the farms, not only as laborers, but also as uh, tenants uh, on those farms. Let's maybe just uh, for some of the people who might not be familiar with some of these uh, issues that farm workers face, uh, uh, as central as they are to our food system, what are some of those issues? Well, I'm sure Professor Deva will, will elaborate on the food insecurity because they've done research together with women on farms. Sure. But most of the farm workers still face a lot of labor rights violation and also tenure rights violation, mm. especially in the form of evictions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, what, what what pattern have we seen when it comes to, to those kinds of evictions? And how has the state responded, uh, Carmen, uh, to uh, some of those insecure tenure rights? Well, uh, uh, post-1994, a new legislation was enacted, the ESTA Act, Mm. That was supposed its intention was to protect those who've been previously disadvantaged because of race and, and class. But what we've seen is that the act is used to evict workers. Mm. So the state, we've highlighted the many loopholes and the inequality in the application of the law, but very little has been done to rectify that. There is an amendment act that's been developed. I think it started um, in the development of that act started in 2014, and it's still not signed by the president. Mm. We've also asked, or community farm dwellers asked the president, um, when he was still deputy president, President um, Ramaphosa, to, um, or in fact, he promised uh, farm workers that he'd place a moratorium on farm evictions until a more um, humane solution is found for farm farm dweller, for the farm dweller situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Devereaux, uh, just I guess a similar question uh, uh, to uh, uh, maybe sort of layer the response here that uh, Carmen has provided. Uh, uh, I guess it's quite clear that uh, notwithstanding the introduction of some of the legislation here, we continue to see all manner of untold violations of human rights of uh, people that work on farms, uh, let alone uh, their rights as uh, laborers. Absolutely, and uh, Carmen mentioned some of those. We did the collaborative research, the Women on Farms Project and the University of the Western Cape, the Center of Excellence in Food Security, looking specifically at these violations of human rights. And there is, of course, one big area around evictions. We know that evictions have been ongoing since at least the 1980s, actually. There's been a, what they call a casualization of labor, meaning that permanent workers have lost their contracts and now become casual workers or seasonal workers who have to go around the farms looking for work each year. And they don't get work all year round, of course. They only get work during the farming season. So that has made it very difficult for them to make a living. But even if they have contracts or they're working on farms, they often don't get written contracts or they don't see those contracts. They can't take them home with them. So they don't know what's in those contracts. And sometimes the farmers are putting all kinds of conditions on those contracts 
in terms of, for example, introducing work targets and have to produce a certain amount or do a certain amount of work on the farm before they'll get paid, which is actually not legal. Mm. Um, there are also other problems like um, illegal deductions from their wages for electricity, for rent, for water, um, and these are used sometimes by farmers to make it impossible for farm workers to stay on the farms. If they're trying to get them off the farm, they can also make it impossible for them to stay by, by introducing these illegal deductions and charges and so on. Um, another set of issues around labor rights is around pesticides and the fact that farm workers often aren't provided with overalls, protective overalls, against pesticides that are used in the orchards and the vineyards. And then they can either get sick or else they have to buy their own overalls. And again, the farmer might deduct the cost of those overalls from the wages, which he's not allowed to do by law. So these kind of violations are going on all the time. And I think one of the big challenges that we've seen is the, the ineffective um, enforcement of the legislation because there are these very strong laws in favor of worker rights that have come in since 1994, but often the Department of Labor doesn't have enough inspectors or they don't go around to those farms because they're too far away, they're inaccessible, you know, there are security gates mm. and dogs which keep people out. And then the inspectors often only talk to the farmer, don't even talk to the farm worker, and they make appointments in advance. So, for example... <laughs> You know, there's no toilets in the vineyards often, but if there's an inspection coming and the farmer knows, then you'll bring some toilets in, portable toilets, into the vineyards just for that day. As soon as the inspector's been and gone, the toilets again disappear. Mm. These kind of violations are also covered up and concealed by the farmers. Professor Devereaux, I'm quite interested, I mean, in in some of the issues that you mentioned there about, uh, you know, uh, the farms not only as a place where people live, but also the farms as a workplace. Um, And uh, uh, how that, uh, this inaccessibility uh, of uh, the farms for, you know, uh, spot inspections that aren't, uh, I guess, pre-announced or or anything of that kind. What impact does that have on uh, even the access to social uh, protection and uh, social security on the part of many people that live on those farms uh, because one would think that you know if it's um, if many of these farms are inaccessible and you have all of these uh, archaic and exploitative practices happening that uh, you might also uh, find a situation where people can't access uh, you know basic social services uh, like social grants and the like yes that's a, that's a very good point Bonga. in fact it's a very unusual situation where the place where you work is also the place where you live. Mm. So the farm is, a, is both a home and a workplace for the workers. And that makes it very difficult for the farm workers to challenge the farmers. You know, It also means that the farmers have a lot of control over them because the farm workers are living in their space on their land and sometimes very far from a town or from the nearest uh, clinic or school or social service agency. So yes, it makes it difficult for them to access social services. It also makes it difficult for them to become unionized um, and again, Carmen might want to add to this, but you know, there's very low levels of unionization among farm workers because they are so dispersed all around the countryside and difficult to mobilize um, and also difficult for trade unions to get onto those farms. So they, again, find it very difficult to organize collectively to campaign for better working conditions, to campaign for reduced exploitation and so on. But in terms of social protection, yes, that's one area where, in fact, women on farms did great work um, a few years ago by making sure that women knew about their rights to social grants, like the Child Support Grant, the Older Persons Grant, Disability Grant, and they made sure that women were, farm women were registering for those grants and getting access to them. Mm. But it very much depends on whether they can get to the FASA office and then they can get their grants, and sometimes they are too far away and they can't get transport or it's too expensive. So that's, the remoteness of farm workers also adds to their problems and their mm. challenges.
And and Carmen, I want to bring you in there. I mean, just on this issue of the remoteness and the impact that that has on access to public services, even if we take it beyond social services like uh, welfare payments uh, and consider things like schooling and healthcare, uh, you know, uh, what what challenges do farm workers face in accessing some of those uh, public services that are constitutionally are, are enshrined and due to everybody? Well, they face many because they are not a public transport to farms. So it's very difficult to access the, the rural towns where they need to go to the Department of Labor, um, to the hospitals, and even when they reach the hospitals, often walking far distances, there is um, stigmatization and discrimination just because you are a farm worker. So it's very difficult. Women on farms have also been um, involved or uh, lobbying government for proper transport to schools. We've done a, a survey on, on scholar transport, and we found that many young girls face harassment and violence on their way to school because of a lack of transport. And this year, or for a number of years now, we've marched to the Provincial Department of Education, and only this year they've agreed now. In fact, this term, it's almost it's the last term of the, of the year, and they now um, provided two extra buses in just one area to deal with, with the, the issue of access to school. In that particular area, we found that many of the high school, because there's a primary school in the vicinity that's easier accessible, but the high school is much further away. So many high school learners drop out in grade 8 and grade 9 due to um, lack of transport to to the school. Mm. We named just just a few. Many of the um, farm dwellers also don't access the courts because the distance to reach the court or to reach an advice office to seek for assistance Mm. And um, eviction orders are granted in the absence. So many, many barriers to access um, institutional... Comment, I mean, let's talk about some of those evictions. What happens post-evictions to many of these families? Because one would think that there is some... Uh, a duty or obligation on the part of the state or, or the evictor uh, to try and find some alternative accommodation. But it's quite clear that uh, uh, potentially one doesn't see this. Uh, you know, you, you, you drive in many parts of this country, in particular uh, the Southern Cape, the Karoo, and uh, even parts of the Western Cape and other parts of our country. And you continue to see many of these challenges where people's lives are precarious because I'm evicted from this one farm. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be able to find a place uh, to live in or even have a roof of my, over my head after that. There is a duty on the state to provide alternative or emergency accommodation. But municipalities, in especially the Cape Winelands area, just say they don't have land, they don't have resources. And although they provide um, reports to the court to say that they don't have the, the necessary resources or land, the court grants irrespective of the petition the courts grant eviction orders and people eventually end up on the street. Um, our year this year started with a, a, a widow and a daughter and two grandchildren on the street. That was the first day of work for us this year, having to deal with that. And since then, there's been many cases just this year alone where court ordered evictions, the state um, system eviction um, resulted in people ending up on the street. Eventually, they will end up in an informal settlement. Um, and life on the farm is a lot different to life in an informal settlement, an overcrowded informal settlement in a rural uh, in a rural town. So people's lives are disrupted, they're forever traumatized, and they can just never um, adapt. We've done a study on one of the um, farms that we supported during an eviction case where more than 100 um, uh, farm dwellers were evicted, 23 families. 
and their lives, most of the learners, although they've done well in school, when they were on the farm, most of them have dropped out mm, of school, mm. even primary school kids, because so, of the trauma of the eviction and the violence of the accompanying the eviction. Yeah, so, so, so Carmen, I guess uh, this conference that's happening over the next uh, few days or so, uh, starting on Wednesday, uh, what role and uh, impact, I, I guess, do you envisage it playing in uh, the scene that... Uh, you've so eloquently laid out there of uh, the conditions of many people who work on these farms uh, and uh, who work there as laborers, but also have, I guess, the difficult relationship of also being tenants uh, on that same land. Well, uh, just the timing of the conference for, to us is very significant. This month, October month, is seven years since the historic farm worker uprising that started in the Durant and spread out to 26 other towns in the Western Cape. Mm. So for us is to, for farm workers, giving an opportunity for farm workers to reflect on the conditions, on how far the gains that they've made since the farm worker uprising, but also the backlashes because there's been severe backlashes, Um, but also to create an opportunity for them because farm workers from different parts of the country will attend and to share strategies and how to organize, how to advance the struggle of farm workers. Because as uh, Professor Devereaux said, very few farmers, and less than 5% of farm workers are unionized. So it's important that we increase the number of farm workers that part of organization and union so that we can, so they can push back and, and, and create a more better rural economy and environment for themselves. Mm. Professor... So, yes, yeah, just on the question sure, of evictions, sure. we were yes, discussing yes. these topics, these inputs, um, where... Uh, participants will have an opportunity to hear firsthand about the conditions, but also about what farm workers want, mm. how they see a transformed agricultural economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Professor Devereaux, I, I'd like to bring you in here. I mean, uh, I think Carmen makes a very important point around this uh, notion of a transformed uh, agricultural uh, economy, and uh, I guess it does bring into play this notion of uh, agrarian transformation, not just as uh, a point of making sure that people are, are food secure, they have access to uh, you know, uh, a nutritious and uh, a suitable food for their needs and uh, those of the people uh, who live around them, but also diversifying the livelihood uh, sources and activities in the countryside. Um, how will this uh, conference, uh, I guess, uh, uh, speak to that particular issue? The conference is very much focused on, on looking for the future, towards a, a future for farm workers, which is a viable future and a decent and dignified future for farm workers. And I think one of the key points which makes us different to a regular academic conference is that about half the delegates will actually be farm workers or farm worker representatives. So it's very much a civil society plus academic uh, partnership. And of course, government is going to be there and uh, lawyers working on behalf of farm workers as well, some farmer representatives as well. So the idea is we're all looking together for the future for farm workers, which is a, a positive one given the threats and the challenges that we've seen with the evictions, with the casualization, also with the new technology that's coming, which threatens to displace more farm workers. Um, but if I can just make one other point about the food security issue, um, another reason why the timing is significant, apart from the anniversary of the strike, mm. is that Wednesday, as you know, is World Food Day, and we had the Liberty Time to start of the conference with World Food Day, because, as you said at the start of the program, <clears throat> there, there is always hunger among farm workers. In fact, some studies have shown that levels of hunger and malnutrition among farm workers are higher than any other group 
in South Africa, even normally, you know, if you know what I mean by normal. Mm. But now we have the additional problem of farm workers losing their permanent jobs and becoming seasonal workers. And then we find that in the winter months, the malnutrition and the hunger and the food insecurity get even worse. Because at those times of the year, there's no work for them. They sometimes have to survive only on the child support grant if they have a child in the family that's getting the child support grant. Um, so the, the, the living conditions in the winter months are very, very tough for farm workers, especially seasonal workers that don't have permanent contracts. So one of the issues that we're trying to argue for is maybe some kind of seasonal unemployment insurance that would help farm workers get through those winter months when there's no work for them. But in the bigger term, as you were saying, we're looking at agrarian transformation, recognizing that the sector is changing, that the idea of permanent work on farms is probably uh, declining very rapidly over time. So those rural towns that um, that Carmen was talking about become very important as centers of economic activity and livelihood opportunities off-farm, you know, non-farm or non-agricultural activities, because the youth growing up in those towns and on those farms don't necessarily have a future in farm work, or at least not only doing farm work. They must have more diversified livelihood options. Mm. So one of the things that we'll be talking about is how the rural economy as a whole can be stimulated and those rural towns can be invested in to create alternative opportunities for people so they don't have to depend on farm work, which is unreliable, unpredictable, doesn't last all year round, uh, and so on. Uh, That's one of the objectives of the conference. So we're trying to bring together all these people, all these stakeholders, to think about positive options going forward for farm workers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess, uh, a Carmen, I'd like to give you the last word on this particular one. Um, and, and it has to do with uh, just your sense as uh, an organization, Women on Farms, uh, about uh, the regularity with which we've seen protests, uh, in particular in uh, the Western Cape, the, place, the likes of Rabo, Ceres, and many other places. Uh, you mentioned the Dwerens and uh, that strike that happened uh, about six or seven years ago. Uh, but um, it's quite clear that even uh, after that uprising there on the countryside, we continue to see uh, people that uh, are are fighting not only for a living wage, but much better living and working conditions uh, on uh, the farms. Uh, uh, How important is it that, uh, I guess, uh, government intervenes in this particular one? And what shape do you think that that intervention ought to take? We think that the big intervention is around land redistribution. As long as commercial farmers continue to be the main title holders of land, of agricultural land, they will continue to dominate and control and set the terms. And what we've seen now, the one thing in the changing, the agricultural landscape is changing, but it's it's change um, to increase um, high-cost living, to um, rezoning agricultural land, resulting in less work. So the agricultural land is changing. Mm. So what we want to see is that there needs to be a rapid, um, accelerated land redistribution, especially to farm workers and farm worker women, so that they can create their own food security and food sovereignty, and the way they can create, where they can have access to secure households without having to fear evictions ever again. Mm. So that is what we would put on the table, especially one of the main points that we want to, or the women that we work with want to put on the table for the conference. Okay. We'll have to leave it there. A real pleasure having you uh, here on uh, Metro FM Talk. Uh, Carmen Lowe, co-director of Women on Farms, and uh, we're also joined by Professor Stephen Devereaux uh, from uh, the University of the Western Cape's Institute of uh, Development Studies and the National 
uh, or the National Center of Excellence uh, in Food Security. Uh, they were joining us for uh, our Shop Stewards Corner at, uh, at the start of this new week. We bring to you that conversation every Monday, touching on uh, issues affecting working people uh, across the length and breadth of, of uh, not only this nation and continent, but the entire globe, uh, in recognition, of course, that uh, uh, workers' issues are human issues.